Uh, good morning. So um, our Bible reading this morning comes from Mark 8, verses uh, 27 to 33. And uh, this passage is just after Jesus has healed a blind man. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Thanks, Rich. Um, You'd be pleased to know I, I'm not a closet lolly eater and hide all my wrappers in my Bible. That's what went everywhere. There was a very good reason for that. Uh, when our family go on holidays, uh, we love to stop on the way. If we've got a big drive, and I'm sure many of you do this, and you stop at a servo, a service station for those who don't know lingo, um, servo. And, um, and we all get to choose a packet of lollies that we can eat on the way. And almost every time I choose fantails. Fantails are my go-to. I love fantails. I love nothing more than, I've still got some caramel from this morning in my mouth, but nothing more than that chewy caramel and chocolate. And then for three hours, you're picking it out of your teeth. And of course, I had to do some research this morning uh, as to which, who am I questions to bring to you. So... Um, I've still got that caramel uh, in my teeth from breakfast. Um, so this morning, what I want to do is start with some who am I questions. Now, last week, we looked at the magic eye, and uh, Doreen won that, and I didn't have a prize, and she really got into me after the service. So here's your prize, Doreen. Okay. Oh, look, they're going everywhere. There you go. We've got a prize for Doreen. Doreen can be happy instead of snarling at me for the rest of the service. No. Sorry, Doreen. She didn't... She <laughs> yes, she would. Uh, so, um, so I'm going to do some who am I. Hopefully Reg didn't see the answers um, and I should have brought my other glasses. Now, who am I? Now, there is a prize and it's as good as Doreen's. So... I was born in June the 22nd, 1949. I, oh, it's in the third person. She's an actress of theatre, television and film. 
come on. No, you can give one of those back now. Oh. Um, <clears throat> both critical and commercial success came quickly with roles in The Deer Hunter. Oh, there you go, Meryl Streep. I'm going to throw it at you, Robert. Nice. There we go. How fun's this in church? All right, now, who am I? Or who is she? Or who is he? <laughs> I was born in Hawaii uh, in 1967 and raised in Sydney. Uh, I starred in a variety of movies, including... Oh, this is easy. Yeah, Moulin Rouge. Who was that? All right, let's go. <laughs> you might... Okay, I better not. I'm going to knock Val in the head. There's one there for you, uh, Mel. Um, and let's do one more, just because it's so much fun. Um, this one's not your generation, sorry, so good luck. I was born in California in 1987. Mm. His, his parents first noticed his acting and singing talent when he was only 11 years old. He signed up to an agency and in 2002 he appeared in guest roles on television series including ER and CSI. No, give me another one back. What, 1987? <laughs> oh my goodness, you're good values this morning, Doreen. He, he starred in Disney's high school musical in 2000. Ah, who was that? Who said it first? All right, there you go. There's Fantails. There we go. Fantail. All right, that's enough frivolity for a church service for one day. Now, you can come and get a fantail if you feel like you've been left out, but that's okay. But you'll notice in these who am I questions, bits of information are given and in stages, and sometimes you know a bit, but the first bit of information you don't really kind of grasp, but narrows it down, and then it narrows it down some more, and then gradually as it narrows it down, you have enough clues, and they stop the clues simply because by that time, you should know who it is. It should be obvious to you. Well, this morning we come to a part in Mark's Gospel where we have received enough clues, just like the Who Am I questions, to be able to draw a very clear answer to the question about Jesus in Who Am I? See, we are at a pivotal moment in the Gospel where the focus shifts from Who Am I? Because it should be obvious by now, to what does that mean? What does it mean for him to be who he is? See, Mark begins uh, the passage. Oh, I had a fantastic slide and everything. Um, begins the passage uh, by geographically uh, orientating us, which he does uh, in most of these passages. So have a look at verse 27 uh, there in chapter 8 of Mark. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Now, for those who were here last week, we, we saw in the last passage he was in Bethsaida. Now, I know that's a small map, but you can see the red circle is Caesarea Philippi and there's an arrow pointing up uh, and that's coming from Bethsaida. And so he's going north from the Sea of Galilee now and we're told that as he's going north, he starts, uh, he, he starts asking questions about his identity. 
And it's significant that last week, if you remember the healing of the blind man, which happened in two stages, and we saw that it was a representation of the spiritual blindness that we have, and often there's two stages or there's stages for us to understand. Like the who am I question, you get a bit of an idea until you come to it. And that's really what was happening with the healing of the blind man where he saw trees, people walking around uh, like trees. And then finally, he saw clearly. So it's time now for the disciples to see clearly. So while they're walking from Bethsaida to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus changes what would normally happen in a master-disciple relationship. The disciples and the master would walk along and the disciples would keep asking questions of the master and he would uh, answer them. But here, the master starts, the Lord starts asking questions of his disciples. And he says, who do the people say I am? In other words, what's the word on the street about me? There's obviously talk. There's obviously lots of crowds and people, but who do they think I am? And in verse 28, the disciples tell him what the word on the street is. They say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others, still others, one of the prophets. See, the people are currently seeing Jesus like the blind man saw people after the first stage of the healing. They're seeing him, well, not completely. They're not seeing him clearly. They're trying to put together what he possibly, who he possibly could be. They've seen powerful miracles. They've heard powerful teaching. And so they've come to a conclusion. He must be one of the powerful prophets that have come back to life that we've heard about. The vision is blurry. Now, last week, I went and saw the Panthers completely annihilate the Rabbitohs. And wasn't that a wonderful day? <laughs> and today is going to be an even better day. Uh, tonight, we're going to see the Panthers destroy the Eels. <laughs> but see, that's a picture that I took when I was at the game. That's the beautiful, wonderful seats of vision that I had. Uh, that's what you get when you do it the night before and you've got a limited budget. But I sat there and the problem you've got is that when the play is down the other end of the field and it's, uh, it's, it's in the other corner, there's a couple of tries that were scored down there. Now, you know, the, I, I, really, I, can't, I can't make out who, who's got the ball. I can't make anything. So what I do is I try to work it out. So I'm looking at them and I'm going, well, they're obviously not a forward. Um, they're a bit smaller than a forward. And then they're trying to spread the ball wide. So you know, I just start trying to figure out, well, it's got to be one of the backs. So maybe it's Nathan Cleary. Maybe it's Charlie Staines. Maybe it's Dylan Edwards. I had to look these names up because I don't really follow them that clearly. <laughs> but I'm just trying to figure it out based on the characteristics. See, and that's exactly what... The, the, the people are doing. They're just seeing things and they're hearing things, but they're trying to figure it out. So the people saw these characteristics and it looked like one of the powerful prophets from long ago. So they're having an educated guess. 
See, most of the people didn't have the privilege of walking with Jesus like the disciples were walking now, asking questions, seeing every miracle, seeing all the things that are happening, hearing all his teaching. So these 12 were in a very privileged position and they were in a very privileged place of learning all about him. So Jesus turns to those after hearing about what the word on the street is and he asks them in verse 29, but what about you? Who do you say I am? See, that's what matters most here because they are going to be the pillar, the, the, the foundation on which the church grows, on which the, the true gospel is proclaimed. Who do you say I am? You are my inner circle. You are the beginning of the church. Who do you say I am? And Matthew 16 records uh, a little more for us. You see, Peter responds. He goes, you are the Messiah. And Matthew 16 adds the son of the living God. See, Peter is now seeing clearly like the two-staged blind man's healing. You've got the people seeing him like trees, but you've got Peter here seeing clearly. Now, we don't know if all the other disciples had discussed it um, and they all believed that, or whether Peter just had a moment. Well, I think it's just Peter here having a moment because of uh, how, um, how Jesus responds to that in Matthew. Jesus says... Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He pinpoints him directly. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now notice that our spiritual blindness, Matthew is saying, Jesus is saying, is healed in the same way as our physical blindness, the physical blindness of the blind man. If you remember back to these miracles, people were touching Jesus and nothing was happening until it was Jesus' will that they would have their eyes opened. Or here he's saying spiritually that our spiritual blindness to who Jesus is can only be opened and transformed and healed when God reveals it to us. See, our salvation, our recognition of Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised saviour of the world, right through the Old Testament, right through the history of the world, the one that was to come and save his people from his sins. Well, he is revealed to us by God himself. It is a spiritual intervention by the God of all creation. To the Lord of all, the King of kings. We can only see Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, by God's enabling and God's grace. See, at the football, when I'm trying to see and make out who that person is down the other end, suddenly a voice comes over all the speakers and it says, try to the Panthers, Dylan Edwards. And I'm like, ah, it's Dylan Edwards. And there's... And I tell you what, that's at Homebush, and there is this screen. I haven't been there for about 
15 years, but there is a massive screen that goes right just on the left there, all the way across the end, and you get to see everything. So as soon as I turn, I go, ah, it's Dylan Edwards. But it is God who turns me. It is God who makes us look to see who the Messiah is, who Jesus is, the one who has that knowledge, the one who enables. And we see this in Paul's conversion in Acts 9. If you remember Paul, he is completely persecuting the church. They've just stoned Stephen to death in Acts, the end of Acts chapter 7, early chapter 8. We're told that Paul is affirming they're killing Christians. Why? Because they're claiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And then on the road to Damascus, the Lord himself, the Messiah, Jesus, intervenes and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am the one you are persecuting. And from that moment, Saul becomes Paul and his life is transformed. And he goes from persecuting Christians, persecuting the message of the Messiah, to proclaiming the message of the Messiah. Why? Because there is a divine intervention into his life. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the only way that we can know for sure is because God has acted. And that is what is so special about being in Christ is that it's not of uh, our will. It is the will of God that has called us, saved us, brought us into relationship with him, opened our eyes. And as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, so that no one can boast. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. See, it's the work of God that opens up our eyes to Jesus' true identity. And then in verse 30, we're told this. We're told Jesus warned them not to tell any, anyone about him. Now, I want you to notice Jesus isn't denying what Peter says. If Peter, what Peter says isn't true, then it is blasphemy. But no, Jesus affirms that he is the promised Messiah. Now, the NIV, as we go into verse 31, is very unhelpful here because the, ver the first word of verse 31 is and. It's the same sentence. It kind of feels like at another time in the NIV, uh, they started talking about whatever they're talking about next. But in fact, verse 31 flows out of verse 30, and I want to read it to you like this. So it, it flows more like this. It goes... And he strictly charged them not to tell no one about him and began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. See, why that's so critical is Jesus is telling them, don't go saying this to anyone because they may, like Peter may have realised he's the Messiah, but he had no idea what that meant. And Jesus is reorientating their understanding of the Messiah. 
See, the expectation was the Messiah, the promised saviour, was going to save God's people, Israel, from the nation, the rule of the nations. He was going to be a military Messiah. He would come and lead them into battle and redeem them and save them and bring them out so they can set up their own nation where they could live together as God's people. But Jesus is effectively saying, hang on, You've missed the point. There is a greater enemy we have here than the nations. In fact, God's heart was always for the nations. The great enemy here will take something far greater than a military, uh, a military conquest. It's going to take the very one that you now understand to be Messiah, God in the flesh, the son of the living God, to suffer, to be rejected, to lay down his life, to die, to be crucified on a cross, but also to be raised again to life after three days. See, this is the shift that's happening here in Mark's gospel. From who is Jesus to what does that actually mean? What does it mean for him to be the uh, anointed one, the promised king, the promised saviour? Well, it means suffering. It means the cross. It means death. But it also means the final victory of conquest over sin and death in the resurrection. Well, Peter's confidence has obviously skyrocketed. He's got the answer right he's excited so so much so that he thinks he can now rebuke the messiah for misunderstanding his own ministry have a look at verse 32 there he spoke plain he began to teach them uh, suffer many things and then uh, and then he spoke plainly so jesus spoke plainly about this and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him imagine that you've just said i now understand who you are you are the promised one of god the son of the living god you are the one why are you talking like this no 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 that's not your role no no i've got in my head what the messiah should be and so i'm going to create him and demand that he will fit my purposes in my life and what i want him to be and don't we do that all the time with Jesus? Who is the Jesus that you have in your life? Is he the suffering servant? Or is he the Superman, the Iron Man, the one that's go never going to be defeated? Well, we know he did conquest, but it's through suffering. So they didn't want the suffering, humble, sacrificial lamb that would be slaughtered. They didn't realise their greatest enemy was sin and death. They were still thinking in earthly terms. But as we've seen over and over in Mark, Mark chapter 2, the, the, the paralytic is lowered through the roof, laid before Jesus, and they're all expecting him to conquer the physical. But he says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
See, the spiritual is what Jesus has primarily come for. And people were still thinking about the physical. If you think about uh, when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, they were also worried about hunger. When they've got the son of the living God who has just performed the miracle and now they're going, oh, how are we going to feed these 4,000 people? They hadn't grasped it. But now they've seen him as the Messiah, but they still don't grasp it. And so while God has revealed to Peter Jesus as the Messiah, there's a lot of work to be done to reorientate their understanding. And so Jesus returns, uh, turns this rebuke back on, G, uh, back on Peter. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Jesus, Peter just wanted him to conquer the human concerns. But no, the things of God have a far more eternal perspective and goal and hope. One that goes beyond the physical, beyond the human. Now, Jesus isn't calling Peter Satan because he is Satan. He's talking about Peter's statement aligning with Satan's view of Jesus. If you remember the temptation, Jesus, the spirit takes Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. God's fully in control. Satan takes him up to the high of the temple and he says, um, and he quotes scripture. He says, if you throw yourself down, God's angels will, con will, will, will save you effectively. Well, Jesus turns and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Jesus' understanding and depth and insight is far greater than what often we operating under and he rebukes peter simply because his mind is on the earthly things his heart is still focused on what he desires and what he wants because no one wants sacrifice no one wants suffering no one wants humility no one wants mercy if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also, Jesus says. And the very next passage, which we're looking at next week, he says, take up your cross and follow me. See, which Jesus are you worshipping? Which Messiah have you taken hold of into your life? Have you understood that the only true Messiah is a suffering servant, as Isaiah so clearly puts it in his prophecy? He is the one who hasn't come to just defend and give you all your heart's desires and make you prosper in earthly terms. He is the one who has provided victory and, uh, and, and destroyed sin and death in your life. He is the one who has come to conquer all things spiritual so that the blessing may flow into your physical with the great hope that true blessing comes from being at one with God, a relationship restored, 
being able to come to God as his child, to be able to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to be able to come to your Father and align with his will. See, in Paul, who went through this great conversion, he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Is that where your heart is? Embracing, accepting the sacrifice that has been expended for you and wanting to become like the Messiah as he lived, humble, sacrificial, transferring all glory to him, no boasting, because it is he who has opened your eyes. It is he who deserves the glory. It is he who has called you from the darkness into his glorious light. It is he who has brought the blessing to the nations instead of conquering the nations. Because his heart from creation was always to bless the nations. Why? Because that is the greatest glory that comes to our God. So which Messiah are you worshipping? Is it the true Messiah, the Son of the living God? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we come in humility knowing that you have. You have done everything to save us, redeem us, to restore us in relationship with you, Father. We just come and we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we don't have a Messiah that is bent on outrage and destruction, but one that is slow to anger, compassionate, gracious. But Father, we also rejoice that there will be one day where you say enough is enough and that that judgment will come. But help us to see that as an urgent call to proclaim this great glorious gospel to the world. And not to just worship a Messiah that's all about us, but is about you and your glory and the blessing that needs to go to the nation. So, Father, over this coming month, as we have opportunities to glorify you, proclaim you, and to bring others into this great saving knowledge and and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, give us the strength and the courage to invite those people, Lord, And give us the strength and encourage to worship the true Messiah, the suffering servant who humbled himself to even death, death on a cross. And we pray this in his name. Amen.